Hello, this is international football commentator Derek Ray, and you're listening to the Ranks FC podcast. Hello Rank Squad and welcome to Ranks FC, it's your favourite football podcast. Back for another week and back in London after a weekend spent in Bilbao. It's been a wonderful weekend with these two boys. My name is Jack Collins and I'll be your host today and joining me is the Rank God, Head of Dispatch, Mr Sam Tai. How you doing? Hello mate, yes I'm very well thank you. Good to be home but what a weekend it was. Yes and we'll be talking about it in a little bit more depth and oh hello mate. It's a chance for Mr. Dean Jones. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? You all right? Yeah, I enjoyed it. I do do a bit of social media. Maybe I, maybe that's what my future lies in. I'm too old. Can't I've done, get to that. I've done that, I tell you. Done it. Been there, done that. I think it's yeah. behind the mic. <laughs> I'll leave it behind then. I'll leave it. But you did do a great job on the Ranks FC Instagram. And it was funny. Twitter it made the trip more fun, actually, doing that day of, of stuff. That was funny. Dean's diary is up on our Instagram. If anyone wants to go and check it out, Rank Squad on Instagram. Um, it's in the little highlight section so you can relive our day if you haven't seen it at San Mames on Saturday as Athletic Club fell to a 1-0 defeat uh, to Diego Simeone's Atletico Madrid. It was an enthralling game, hostile, really, really sharp. The atmosphere was incredible in the stadium. Not the result that we were looking for. We were working with Athletic Club course this weekend so we were hoping that they could get the job done um but athleti sam deserved winners across the course of this game really well i mean yeah it's, it's tough to tough to escape the idea that atletico just deserved to win i mean the the first goal that they scored that was disallowed i thought was was very generous to athletic in in that you know, rather than Morata fouling Yerai on the run in towards goal, I think Yerai may have sort of tripped himself over a little bit. So they, they kind of escaped one there and then coming out the second half so slowly and allowing Atletico to kind of waltz through them and Griezmann to score that goal. Yeah, I guess in the end, you make enough errors like that, then um, you possibly don't deserve to win. But um, Athletic piled on that pressure, didn't they, at the end? And they had a, a shot that was goal-bound, you know, denied uh, by Reynaldo and uh, it was it, it were maybe a couple of inches or you know rubber the green away from getting a point and battling back but uh, they certainly made it hard for themselves yeah I mean let's talk about the players on the pitch and and let's talk, pick out a couple who took our eye and DJ maybe you can start us off here yeah I mean well it's probably not the right place to start from an athletic point of view but um, Murata and Griezmann two players I feel very differently about um, Murata I love Griezmann I don't but when you see him up close and in a game like this, you realise like why teams like Atletico are often Atletico Madrid are, are a kind of cut above everybody else because these players are are a cut above what most people have on offer. Um, and Griezmann, well, he decided the game with well, it was a cool finish for him. It was probably one of the easiest goals he'll ever score. Um, just the goal, just open for him and he just he slots it home. So it was lovely, wasn't it? Almost, right foot um, as well, I thought. Yeah, wrong footed. Right keeper. foot, low low yeah. and slow, but wrong footed. Yeah, lovely. Just totally calm about it. And um, Murata, you know, did score in the first half. So he ruled out, um, but he took that well. His performance all round just really caused Athletic Club problems. Um, 
he drops deep and then you, you you know your man will go with him and then he'll turn and spin and looking to get into the space behind that he, that he's left open for himself um his hold up play is very good it's very hard to get the ball off him you know, I had a really good game but um you know when you're up against this caliber of of center forward it makes life really tough and you know atletico madrid aren't the most exciting team in the world to watch but um you know the 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 players that are in defence and midfield are the Warriors and they'll win the ball and they'll kick people and they'll, they'll play short passes a lot of the time and then someone they'll choose someone who'll be the outball merchant and, and they'll ping them out there. But, you know, Griezmann and Morata are the guys that you rely on. We should be able to rely on Jao Felix as well, but you can't really these days. Um, but Morata doesn't and get Griezmann... to play, Dick. He doesn't get to play, sadly. No. We got to see him for the for approximately three minutes. Yeah, exactly. So we, you don't get to see Jao Felix like you would have expected at this stage of his career. But um, yeah, Morata and Griezmann, they're special. And, and, it, and it is good when you get to see these players up close because, like I say, like Griezmann, like I, I never bought into the hype. I, I'd never put him into the very top category of footballer. But I have, even I cannot deny he's a very good footballer. And... Uh, it's it's just great when you get to get the chance to see the players like this in an environment in which they thrive. Yeah, I mean, Griezmann was, I think, the best player on the park. He just has, he feels like he has that extra second on the ball. We talk about this quite a lot, Sam. The the fact that he just was able to sort of stroll around, to to flick it past players, to make himself that little inch of space that perhaps everyone else didn't have in what was a kind of battle of attrition in many ways, this game. So, yeah, shout out to Krizzy. He was very, very good here. I'm going to flip it because we've spoken about him twice in different circumstances, in different contexts here already. Um, but I thought Yurai Alvarez was Athletic Club's best player on the night. Now, yes, he maybe got a bit lucky with the Murata goal. He maybe did trip himself up, but that was the only mistake in a game. And it didn't cost him in the end. Obviously, he was, he was bailed out by VAR, which means that ultimately this game was pretty faultless from your eye. Now, he's a player that maybe would have slipped under the radar a little bit, one of those players that's just sort of been ticking along at Athletic for some time. And he's often, I suppose, overshadowed by his partner, Inigo Martinez, who there seems to be far more headlines about, far more hype about, obviously came in across the divide in the Basque Country for, for a big fee when Laporte went. And and he sort of gets the limelight. But I thought Uri was absolutely sensational here, stepping up, winning the ball high up. He won his duels one-on-one. And without him, you know, Atleti could have run riot, to be perfectly honest with you, because there were some really nice moments from, from Griezmann and, and Morata, as we say. But without Uri in here, this could have looked very, very ugly. He really did step up to the occasion. He, he managed to, to to win most of his battles individually. He was covering, he was stepping out, he was, he was doing all the kind of things you expect from a top-level centre-back. And, and then whilst there's always kind of links to, to players around, he, he did look here, I think, a cut above pretty much anyone else in, in an offensive mark on, on the pitch, with one notable exception that I'm sure Sam is going to come on to in a, in a minute. But yeah, it, it was just one of those, I don't think we've necessarily talked that much about Yarai. I think he's one of those players that maybe just kind of goes about his business quietly. Now, a, a couple of player, people around the club said to me that was one of his standout performances in an athletic club shirt. So maybe we're, we're looking at him having an incredible game and, and drawing slight, you know, over-the-top conclusions from it. But I, I really, really was impressed. He, he was absolutely excellent at the heart of this athletic club back line. And in a game where, to be perfectly honest with you, not many athletic players impressed 
too much he, he very much was the the leading light from, from where i was i don't know if it's an overreaction to be honest with you i mean again speaking to to some people at the club over the weekend and in the aftermath of the game um the the kind of reaction from them was well yeah we've been aware that he can do this for some time and you know we always talk about how he might be one of the great underrated players in you know in the spanish centre back core and there've been questions as to why you know lucho doesn't ever really look at him and things like that and they're asking that question so if you're asking that question it's got to be pretty consistently good um he's he's basically ended up well there's also the he's forced you know unai nunez has, has, has left he's gone he can't get into the team um he's very much taken this this control of this spot next to inigo martinez and yeah it's his and he's good and he's consistently good yeah, and young Danny Vivian came on right towards the end. He's one that looks to be for the future as well. Uh, someone very highly rated within that setup. But you're talking of that, and, and just to touch on it, you know, I you're, you're looking for a centre back partnership that are steely, that are strong, that know how to play out from the back, that can do all of these things. There is one just sitting there at Athletic that Spain could rely on a partnership that knows each other very well, that is able to you know step in for each other, that that know each other's faults and weaknesses and are able to cover. Uh, and Spain could do a lot worse than starting this World Cup with Yerai and Inigo Martinez as a partnership who know each other, who they can rely on uh, in the in the heart of this defence. Now, whether that's going to happen, I'd be very, very, very no doubtful. Um, but ultimately, it is one thing that you can look at and think, you know, how often do we see partnerships that are built at club level go on to succeed at international level? It's things that we see in the game. And obviously, when you look back at the great Spanish sides at the turn of the, turn of the decade, you were looking at that from a kind of, Barcelona perspective, especially, you know, in midfield. But this is something that can have a positive effect on the national team. And yeah, I, I thought it was an interesting conversation to lead on because, yeah, Spain could do a whole lot worse. Um, but there was one man who stood out defensively above all others, Sam. So I'm going to let you talk. Yeah, nightmare. I don't like this player at all. Uh, do you think Dean doesn't like Griezmann? I do not like Reynildo. I've been pretty, pretty consistent on that. And there's a very simple reason for that. You know, it's nothing to do with him personally. It's the fact that when he was in Liga, he felt like a constant red card waiting to happen. He was so overzealous in the way that he tackled people and dived in. I was always, whenever I was watching him, convinced that he was about to be sent off. It felt borderline reckless in the way that he played. But this... This was in stark contrast to the Reynildo I know. And look, he's actually been just very good for Atletico since signing in January. Just across the board, he's played quite a lot of left centre-back and done it really well. But he was originally a left-back. He played that here. He was given the task of playing against Nico Williams, one of the breakout stars in La Liga this season. And he's probably going to end up you know, punching his way into the World Cup squad. Yeah, he got the one, the one on task with Nico Williams. It's, it's a pretty unenviable task, if I'm honest. But Reynildo was brilliant. He, he really was. He just he just would not let Nico Williams pass him, would not let him get into the game. In the end, just looking at the statistics, and they certainly prove out from the eye test, he won seven tackles, four interceptions, and 12 of his 15 duels. He was a lockdown tackler and coverer. He was brilliant. And he was the one that made that vital block at the end to prevent Athletic tapping home an equaliser in about the 87th minute or so. He was, for me, like defensively the man of the match for sure. And while Griezmann made the difference, you know, Reynildo had just as much an impact at the other end. And if you take Nico Williams out of the game for Athletic uh, and then you block up the middle so Munayin can't really affect things, that's your two thirds of the way to beating them. And so Atletico did that very, very well. And Reynildo was a huge part of that. 
Yeah, I mean, and athletic pulled Nico Williams off. Now, obviously, he doesn't play 90s all the time, so this isn't a massive surprise, but they stuck Inyaki out there. They were like, right, you've, you've dealt with the younger brother. Here's the, like, it's almost like dialed the evolution up. They, like, threw a new <laughs> Pokeball into the mix and were like, right, how do you deal with the big brother? And you did that Good. as well. Yeah. You know, it was there was a little bit down that right towards the end of the game as tired legs started to come into play, but... He was absolutely sensational from, from minute one. And you, know, you could see the, the the fans around us becoming more and more frustrated that Nico was getting absolutely no joy down the right-hand side. And, and as you say, that, that's such a source of, of inspiration and creativity for this athletic side that when that was taken apart, they, they did kind of fail to to put the ball into the areas where we know they can be dangerous. And, and, and Reynolds was a massive part of that. So, yeah, a huge shout out to him. I think that was a, a fair point to make, Sam. And, and he probably was the, you know, the key element in this defensive line that had some, you know, big names in it. He's ne- not necessarily always one of them, but he, he was the, the defensive man of the match from an Atletico perspective, for sure. Um, but with that, we're going to move things on. And in our main segment, we're going to be talking about the Ballon d'Or. We're going to look back at the results of what happened on Monday night and talk about the a couple of the discussion points, none of which you'll notice will be regarding regarding the fact that the main trophy was won by Karen Benzema. Uh, I think that's a fair point from everyone involved. But there were some other discussions that we had in, in different contexts. So we'll be discussing all of that and looking forward to next season already after the break. Welcome back to Ranks FC. It's time for our main segment. Sam, going to hand things over to you. Yeah, I mean... There was no need for us to sort of sit around the microphone, say last week, and talk about who's going to win the Ballon d'Or in a week's time because we've known for some time, haven't we? Really, that Benzema was the the one that deserved it, and I think we all knew really that he was gonna he was gonna win the trophy. So first first and foremost, I think we should say like congratulations to Karen Benzema. He was unbelievable. He deserved to win. And I've seen very little hand wringing over this. Uh, are you the same? Mm. Very little consternation over this. And and that makes a real change, doesn't it? Because in years gone by, it's, it hasn't really been like that. There have been some crazy decisions made at certain points. And uh, you know what? Just, just, a, just a, a universal well done to Karen Benzema for winning it. Yeah, I mean, th- there can't be many arguments, I don't think. He not only won, obviously, the Champions League, La Liga and the Supercoppa with Real Madrid. He's played 46 games in all competitions. He scored 44 goals and assisted 15. Then he went on to an international duty. He led France that Nations League triumph last November, I think it was. Um, we're about oh, a year October ago so, now yeah. we're talking. Yeah. Yeah, um, and he scored 10 times and assisted one in 14 games for his country since the start of the Euros last summer, uh, across the course of, of, of the season up to up to this year. 60 games for club and country, 54 goals, 16 assists, 1.26 goal contributions per game across 60 mm-hmm. games. 60! Mm-hmm. It's consistency in its finest form. Dean, I didn't see almost any arguments that anyone else deserved this, and rightly so, this was Benzema's year. Yeah, I actually quite like a year when there's no argument over it. It's rare. Um, it's, it, it's rare, exactly, but it was so well-deserved that it was just like just barely any point anyone else considering that they might have got it was there. Uh, sorry, Mbappe was booed um, as, he, as he turned up, but um don't think, probably think he shouldn't even bother going. Maybe just getting used to what it, what the atmosphere feels like because be, it's only a matter of time, <laughs> isn't it? But no, Benzema, like, especially at this stage of his career, um, more than deserved. There was all those years when he 
probably would have been in the running if it wasn't for a couple of other lads who were good at football. So, um, yeah, I'm pleased for him. And he, he has been unbelievable. And he even shows it, you know, again at the weekend in the Classico, like making the difference in that. Yeah, I, I mean, I think this is it, isn't it? it? He's just been, he's been so good and it's refreshing to see the, the lack of arguments around it. Um, some interesting faces in, in the podium uh, as well. Sadio Mane obviously won a cup double with Liverpool um, and also led Senegal to AFCON champions, which was, which was impressive in his own right. And Kevin De Bruyne came third, won the Premier League with Manchester City. His assist total last year was off the scale. So we're looking at that and thinking, right, this is, this is a very yeah. fair top three. I don't think there was much to be, to be argued with really across. across no, uh, but <laughs> look, it's a big ceremony where we hand out awards to footballers. We weren't going to escape controversy entirely were we and i no. think where people were sort of roughly okay with what happened in the ballon d'or they turned their attentions very sharply to the copper trophy for the best player under the age of 21 to play last season this is where people started uh, arguing and I, I guess i can i can kind of understand why say for example arsenal fans would be pretty annoyed that bukayo saka ends up in eighth place um, in the Copper Trophy, you know, you've got Ryan Hravenberg ahead of him, who just wasn't better. Josko Gvardiol, who wasn't better. Um, and then you've got Nuno Mensch, you've got Jude Bellingham, you've got Jamal Musiala, Eduardo Camavinga and Gavi. And that's a really strong top five. I think Saka's on, probably on par with those. But maybe he just falls down a little bit because ultimately he wasn't playing top-level football because he wasn't playing in the Champions League. And you know, actually, last season, Arsenal didn't play any European football. So he didn't even get to play Europa League football. And maybe that factors in. But Gavi as number one has also caused some arguments. I don't know how to feel about this. How do you guys feel? Strange one, isn't it? It's it's one of those. I think it's relatively deserved. I don't think anyone's out here arguing that, that Gavi isn't an absolute superstar in the making. Uh, obviously handed to him by Pedri. And there were some really nice comments that I liked a lot from Pedri. He was like, yeah, I hope we play together for the rest nice. of our careers. You're like, okay, cool. We're uh, we're doing one of those, are we? That's a, that's a nice touch. But, you know, I, I think obviously Camavinga coming second. Camavinga was excellent when he played last season, but how many, you know, how much did he actually play? You, you, Real Madrid will say, well, we managed his minutes properly. That's what we're supposed to do with a young player. You know, you're supposed to bed them in nicely. You're not supposed to wring them like a tube of toothpaste, like Barcelona did with Pedri mm. the season before, because it knackered him out. And, you know, it, it wasn't nice to see. It was a player who looked like he was absolutely burnt out at such a young age. Gavi's been managed a little bit better, I think, although his influence on this Barcelona team remains incredible. And we saw that from when he came on in the Clasico at the weekend and immediately provided that bite and thrust that the Barcelona have been really lacking throughout the entire game up to that point. So I don't have major problems with Gavi winning it because I think I think he's excellent and I think he put together a really good season. But I'd imagine if you're Jude Bellingham, you go, I am literally the heartbeat of this Dortmund side. You know, wh where's my flowers? I can imagine that he, he's a little bit put out by by only coming mm. fourth because, you know, there's an element there. You look at it and go, well, I don't know what much more Bellingham could have done. He could have played for Barcelona. Yeah. <laughs> That's the problem, isn't it? <laughs> I mean, that, that ultimately is probably the flaw in it is it's that he plays for Borussia Dortmund. Like, not like they're a small club or anything, but it usually is somebody that plays for Real Madrid or Barcelona or very close to that level that comes away with, with an award if they are close to being deserving mm -hmm. of it. 
Like that's 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 ultimately, I think, what it comes down to. I'm with you. To. I'm with you. Um, uh, just a quick question, Jack. You probably know the answer. Is Pedri ineligible because he's already won it? Is that the thing? I think I don't know if there's a hard and fast rule, um, but I think they try to keep the copper relatively yeah. fresh. Um, so I think that that's probably he, fair enough. You win it once, you're no longer like considered the, the best. You're you're now a breakout player, right? You you're in you're in contention for the main award if you've won won the cop of the season before. And I think that's probably fair yeah, enough. I like it uh, as far. I as like I'm it because it does keep it nice and fresh. It's just that the fact that he's not in the top ten must mean that he is like inefficient, unofficially ineligible. Because obviously, you know, I thought the best under twenty one player last year was Pedri. So like, I'd give it to him again. But if we're, keep, if we're keeping it fresh, then fair enough. I actually think that Gavi and Musiala and Bellingham and maybe to an extent Kamavinga but I think I think they've all got a quite a legitimate claim here I think you've got a really strong top order and I would sit there personally and say they're all brilliant well done to Gavi I'm not massively concerned about any of this I think Saka's a bit low but that's about it yeah yeah I mean there was controversy a little bit uh, in the women's award as well Alexi Pateas won back-to-back awards and she missed the European championships this summer Beth Mead obviously was player of those championships or, or awarded the player of those championships and uh, led England to victory with the Lionesses and there were some questions as to whether she deserved to win it but you look at Alexia's stats over last season let me just read them out for you for 54 appearances, 42 goals, 21 assists for Alexia. She played in about six different positions. She played every single one of them absolutely brilliantly. And I think that there remains a question mark to say that if Alexia was playing for that Spain side, would they have been England's greatest challengers in this tournament? Considering that they were probably the hardest game that England played across the course of it, would they have won that game? Very maybe with Alexia in the mix. So I have no problems with this, to be perfectly honest with you. I think that there's... There's an, an argument to say that, yes, the European Championships are a massive part of, of how this trophy is awarded. But when you put up the numbers that Alexia has, I just don't really see how you can kind of go each way. My, my big problem with the, the women's award was that Lyon won the double. They won the Champions League and obviously Ligue 1 Femina. And their highest ranked player was seventh with Ada Hagerberg, which felt a bit harsh considering, you know, they won pretty much everything you can win. Uh, it, it makes it a little bit tricky, that one. And I imagine Leon fans are a little bit upset by that. So that would be my only bugbear with that. I thought Beth Mead was good podium finish and I think she'd be very, very pleased with that. But I think if you put up the numbers that Alexia did and Beth Mead didn't win, obviously the WSL, Chelsea won that, pipped Arsenal to the post. If they'd won that, would it have been different? Maybe, maybe. But but ultimately, I, I think Alexia was, was a worthy winner for, for the women's awards. So yeah, there were a little bit of controversy there, but ultimately... I thought it was probably no, fair enough. No, from where no, I was. we was robbed. You we was, was robbed. robbed. Uh, how, how many times have you heard of that on this podcast? Right, let's move on to next year, shall we, on, on that note? Yeah, so, okay, let's use the Ballon d'Or as a theme for the week and let's take a look at who might have put themselves in best contention to win it in 2023. Um, for those of you that have forgotten or didn't know, obviously the Ballon d'Or has now finally switched over to a seasonal awarding and, this most recent uh, award to Karen Benzema was the first one in line with that. So it really is a case of, right, who's done what this season so far? Two and a half months, let's measure it. You would be in prime contention. We're going to have a World Cup, which is going to change a few things around here. But just based on what happened for their clubs, let's take a look. So I've got my top five. And at five, you know, that was my first big struggle. Um, I've got to say my top four Picking who they were was really easy. Ordering them was tough, but the, the, the identity of the top four was super easy. Fifth, 
was up for grabs. I've gone for Joshua Kimmich at Bayern Munich. He never fails to make a massive impression on me. I just think he's an unbelievably good footballer in so many different ways. And he's always hard to measure in this kind of context because obviously where he plays, he's not going to stack up the goals and assists like the forwards. He's never going to have a stat line like you just reeled off Jack for for Karen Benzema or for Alexia Puteas. But more often than not, I think Kimmich is the best player on the pitch on any given day. Um, Also, you know, the argument that, well, he plays for a powerhouse team in Germany, so this, that and the other doesn't always necessarily stand up. And, you know, this season has shown us that Bayern do not waltz every game they play. But even on those rough afternoons, Joshua Kimmich is probably the best player. I think what probably swings it for me in terms of him actually hitting the top five is that in the Champions League this season, he's been absolutely amazing. Bayern were dominated by Barcelona despite winning. And that midfield was flooded. And the only player out there who could even remotely cope with the pressure that Gavi and Pedri were putting them under was Kimmich. Everybody else succumbed to the waves, but Kimmich managed to figure out how to get out of it. And he was amazing against Inter as well. That assist for Sané's goal was, was beautiful. He's, of course, the heart heartbeat of, of basically every Bayern Munich performance. And you know what? For someone who plays holding midfield, two goals and four assists, that, it's not even that bad, is it, to be fair, in about nine games? That's that's a pretty handy yeah. stat line for, yeah. a, for a midfielder. Yeah, I mean, he could play for literally anyone. I think he'd get into every single other team. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I genuinely do. It goes back to that thing as I said a couple of weeks back when I was asked, how can Man United catch Man City? And I was like, well, they can't. It's impossible unless somehow they signed... Well, I said Mbappe is an obvious goal scorer. And then I was like, well, who would who would be the, like, De Bruyne? Who could you... And, I, and the first thing that came to me was Kimmich. Because, like, I, I just think that he's just so consistently amazing that you that's something you, you can't buy it. Like, if you're a team like Man United who aren't at the very, very top... You can't buy it, but that's what you would need to catch a team like Man City. And that's what anyone would want. And that's why Bayern are lucky to have him. Because, you know, even when they go through, like, say, um, if they're in a bad spell, Kimmich will still perform at, at the same levels all the time. He's brilliant. Whether he can win a Ballon d'Or, I, I don't know. Because, as you say, because you haven't got that top-line stat. Uh, I know there was the Modric season, but... Well, Modric scored about two goals, season didn't he, that, that season? He got it. So there's hope for yeah, us all. But there's hope. You just... Also got to be reliant on nobody else scoring too many goals or making too much of a name for themselves. And I'm not sure this is going to be the Has there been anyone who has done that? (laughs) We'll see. I mean, look, this is it, isn't it? And there were some funny comments from from Thibaut Courtois last night. He was like, I just don't know how I could get any higher. Um, and, and, And he has a point to be perfectly honest with you. Like there, there is an element of what more could you do? He came seventh in the Ballon d'Or rankings, Thibaut Courtois. He, he won everything at club level. He went on and, and was absolutely sensational in He's those knockout stages. That goes he was man of the match in the well, final. This is it. Yeah, I mean, I, I can understand his frustrations with it. I mean, it's probably not... He won the, the goalie award. He did. He won the goalie award, Oh, yeah. well, there you go. What's he about? But he, he was like, I should have been higher up. If, if He was like, if I can't get on the podium with the season I've just had, then no goalkeeper ever is going to get on the podium. And, and there maybe is an, an argument that that is the case. Um, yeah. But 
But equally, this is where we are right now. So it's so like it's our Benzema isn't going to get on the goalkeeper's podium. He's not going to get on the footballer's one. It felt a bit harsh, didn't it? Because he was like, he was doing <laughs> saying all this after Benzema had won the award. You'd have thought the first thing to be would be congratulate his teammate. But yeah, um, yeah it, it was it was a bit of a strange one in in, in that regard. Also, he's just. Um, can I just say that he's yeah. wrong because Manuel Neuer has hit the podium. 2014, he came third. So, yeah. so you need yeah, to go. Yeah, yeah. You need to go and win a World Cup, mate. Yeah, I mean, I think that's going to be unlikely, but alas, here we are. Um, it does mean that obviously this is weighted towards towards strikers and, and creative midfielders and goal scorers. That's always kind of how it's been for the last however many years, with Virgil van Dijk being a notable exception yeah. in, in, in this mix. But yeah, I do think probably fifth is about as high as you're ever going to get a, a Joshua Kimmich unless he has... Yeah, and I think Dean's right. Unless there's a season where nobody jumps out as as an outstanding individual goal scorer slash creative threat, uh, it's always going to count against players who play in, in more defensive roles. Now, whether that's right or wrong is a different question. This is ultimately an award given out by a magazine and voted for by journalists and players. It is, it is ultimately going to always have those conditions attached to it, considering the era we've just had and the numbers put up by Cristiano Ronaldo and, and Lionel Messi. They've, they've changed the way this award yeah. works. They've changed the way that this award is measured and it does count further against defensive players and, and kind of always is going to. It, it does, yeah, and it will. You're right, it's completely warped it. Um, and, you know, we have had defenders win it in the past. Cannavaro obviously uh, lifted the World Cup and, and got his adulation and, and things like that. Virgil van Dijk has come close, but yeah, it's it's a tough gig. What what makes it a bit weird is that they've they've invented a new award called the Gerd Muller trophy to recognize the best striker they did that because they didn't give Lewandowski the Ballon d'Or that he deserved so they felt bad uh, bad for him if you're gonna invent another trophy to recognize a position make it make it the defender don't make it the striker who probably wins the Ballon d'Or which is exactly what happened I mean how can you have Benzema winning the Ballon d'Or and then Lewandowski winning the best striker trophy well the best striker was the guy that won the Ballon d'Or so yeah still lots of problems (laughs) um but we're moving in the right direction, aren't we? France football being dragged, kicking and screaming into a legitimate and logical position by us, the population. Well, at least well, at least they're doing it by season yeah. now rather than the yeah. bizarre elements of a of a kind of an award given out over the course of a calendar year. So we can take that yeah. for one. Absolutely but... right. Let's move on to number four, and it's everybody's favourite player to pronounce Kvicha Kvaratskhelia or Kavara to his best friends or anybody else. And yeah, us. and us as well. Uh, signed for Napoli this this summer for a pretty, pretty miserly fee. Looking looking at it, to be honest with you, after two and a half months, it was less than 10 million, wasn't it? It was, it was just shade under. Looks like the bargain of the century because he has been probably the breakout star of the season so far, at least in a, a top five leagues context. And I think he's having a campaign that's kind of threatening to look a little bit like Christopher Nkunku's last year. And by that, I mean basically scoring or assisting in every game he plays. He's scoring incredible goals and he's producing incredible moments and highlight reels. And he's doing it all for a club who are obviously very good, but they're just that one step down from what you would consider the kind of like the elite level. So he's not doing it for Real Madrid or Barcelona or Bayern Munich. He's doing it for Napoli in the same way that Nkunku did it for RB Leipzig. That's actually more impressive if you think about it. Of course, Napoli are on a massive tear, but... He's not surrounded by Kevin De Bruyne and Modric. He doesn't have those players playing in the balls. So that actually makes it better. And at time of speaking, as we sit here, he's scored or assisted in each of his last seven 
consecutive games. He's scored or assisted against Lazio, Liverpool and Ajax twice. He's put the beat down on Ajax, actually. It was horrific to watch if you're an Ajax fan. He's been amazing as a dribbler and a ball carrier and a passer and a shooter. (laughs) He's full of confidence. He's full of ideas and he plays really quick and really instinctive and he uses both feet. In short, Kvara has been awesome. Absolutely awesome. And uh, we we said, didn't we, last week on our Patreon Monday show, Jack, it's like watching a designated player in MLS. That's kind of what he looks yeah. like right now for Napoli, uh, which shouldn't be possible, but it has been, and he's carried it on. So let's let's see if he can if he can if he can maintain it over the course of the season. He's still a, a bit of a mystery or a, a new a new face to many of us, including me. Like he played in Russia and uh, Georgia. Like I, I don't follow these leagues. I, I, this is new to me. It's brilliant. I think you put Varadona a bit low. Oh yeah, list. out of. I, I think he's. I think he's currently on course for a Well, podium. you don't know who I've got third that, that's, or fourth or second. Yeah, well, I, I, well, I know you've got fourth because so, yeah, you just told me. Um, but yeah, I, I currently have him. I have him trending at three. Mm. That that's where I have it. I mean, we'll talk about where where how we do do it differently towards the end of this. But that's where I have him trending at the moment. And I think it's because not only is he putting up absolutely ridiculous numbers. And that's one thing, and, and that matters in the Ballon d'Or. That's that's the, you know one of those key things that really really does matter. Um, but ultimately, he's also doing it in such style. And actually, you know, you watch back and, and the game obviously that Napoli played against Ajax last week in the Champions League. There are moments where he gets the ball and he's like on the wing, surrounded by three players. And then you look down, you look up again, and he's beaten <laughs> them all. And he's just flicked the ball around, and he's currently and he's charging down the wing to put a ball on a plate for a Raspadori who slides home. And you go, hang on, just a minute ago you were you were trapped in a corner. How have you got there? And and I think that's the kind of thing that that, that really counts for him. He's he's an edge of the seat player. He makes things happen of his own accord. He's one of those players you can watch and just watch him. And and that is remarkable in this team because there's a lot of very talented players. Yes, you said that he wasn't getting a, a De Bruyne passing him the ball or a Modric. But this is a team with, with some very, very good players in it. And they are all looking to him. A young, you know, new signing who's come in to replace a club legend. And already it's like, when, when Napoli's struggling, it's like, give Corral the ball and see what happens. And that is remarkable. At one, his age. And two, the fact that he has joined a new club. And this is where he's going at. Now, look, he might drop off towards the end of the season. We don't know how this is going to pan out, how this is going to play throughout the course of 2022-23. But right now, I think he might well be the most exciting player to watch in the world. And that is... He might drop off, but, you know, right now, as we assess what's happened so far, that's, yeah, it doesn't doesn't matter, does it? All all we know right now is that he's brilliant, he's been great, and he deserves a spot here. Yeah, in the act... Unretire the tension. In it. the actual Ballon d'Or stakes, you know, come the end of the season, like he's probably going to get hurt by the fact that, first of all, yeah, as Dean said, he doesn't play for one of those true elite Spanish clubs or whatever. Um, and also, you know, he's not going to be going to the World Cup. So he doesn't get the opportunity to make that kind of splash. Um, so that's going to hurt him. But, you know, first and foremost, like to even be in this conversation and be, you know, be in this list is absolutely incredible considering the, the jump that he's made. I just think in, in some cases, right now, I think Napoli are the best team in Europe. And and and, and Doogie Critchley, friend of this pod, tweeted it last week. He said, right now, you, on form, do you make Napoli favourites of the Champions League? Now, we know that's not how it works, right? I'm not suggesting that Napoli are going to win the Champions League, although they, they do have a shot, or especially playing the way that they are. But right now, I think they are probably the best team in Europe. 
and and that is incredible considering where they were and and what happened over the summer and he is the key jewel in that so if Napoli were to win Serie A if they were to make a deep run in the Champions League and if Grado was to keep up the form that he is currently showing I think there's no reason he can't be on the podium next year there you go there you go you're just doubling down on your Napoli love aren't you from the start of the season you're like oh, all legs one basket you know me you know me full of passion right into number three that's so why I put Lionel Messi of Paris Saint-Germain. Yeah. Wow. He's good to He's have back. him back, isn't it, Dino? <laughs> Outside the top 20. Yeah, well, he was rubbish last season. He was well, he actually He was rubbish last <laughs> season. He didn't deserve to be in contention with the Ballon d'Or last season. But he back. Uh, he real back, isn't he, isn't he, Dino? He is. He is, yeah, yeah. Like, obviously, I'm a PSG hater, but... Um... <laughs> We're really showing our colours on this pod. <laughs> Well, it's fine because, like, I, well, I, yeah, I say a hater. It, it's obviously it's the way they've gone about things and, like, you know, putting together a, a team of, well, like the Harlem Globetrotters style of um, building a football team. But you know, other people have done it. They're not the first people to do it. I need to probably let go of this. This is something that happens in the world. Mm. Um, I say I hate them though. Mm. I love watching them. And like, especially when, when everyone's clicking because like some of the football you've seen from PSG this season, probably the best football you'll ever see. Like if you were to get to a game of, of PSG and you caught them on the right day, it would probably be the best team performance potentially you're ever going to see in your life. And part of that is because, you know, the top three um, when when they're in gear and they're in sync together and those players behind them are finding them in the right spot, it's impossible to live with them. And and part of that is... Be- and Messi coming back to life has been massive. Yeah, yeah. I think he's just really happy at the moment and, and you know, happy Messi kind of equals elite Messi. I think that's the formula that we've yeah. we've ended up on. Um, and his, look, his production is, is really, really strong. Uh, five goals, seven assists in 10 league appearances. So that's uh, it's a better than a one-in-one. In terms of production, he scored some really, really good goals. And, and the one against Benfica at the Luge the other week was absolutely amazing. Absolutely amazing. And PSG had been, well, they'd been battered for 20 minutes. And then he just gets one kick of the ball and he does that. It's absolutely incredible. Um, <laughs> but there was, I had a look earlier at his stats. And in total so far this season, there have been seven games from him for PSG where he has got at least two goals and or assists. In seven different occasions, he's scored and or assisted twice at least. And what we're seeing is uh, is his through balls remain pretty much the best in the game, close to it. He's a little bit slower, I would say now, than a couple of years ago, which is completely fine because he's in his mid-30s. But he's still gliding past these players, you know, three apiece, dropping in deep, received the ball, cut past three players, a bit like what you were saying with Kavara, Jack. It, you know, it's still very, very similar Obviously, Kvara is very similar to, to Messi. And Messi is wrecking teams in the process. And PSG are looking good. Got good formula, as Dean says. And you know, a huge part of that is Messi sort of coming back to life. Uh, you know, having a bit of a second season to remember. So I'll put Messi in three. It almost feels weird when you don't have him top because of the last decade we've had. But it's a big step forward from where he was last season, as we've said. Because last season, we'd all just, let's just forget it. Yeah, I mean, he's on, what, 1.28 goal contributions a game? Across all competitions, that's not easy not work. Bad. Not bad at all. That's mm. light work for Leo Messi, but it, it, it is impressive. And the fact that you know, if you if you look at these across the the top top five leagues, P- 
PSG have three players in the top 10 for, for production um, so far this season, Neymar, Messi and, and Mbappe, as you might imagine. But it's it's impressive for them all to be playing at this kind of level. And and, and right now we're seeing, you know, yes, there's there's off-pitch drama. Yes, there's, there's the kind of headlines that always follow PSG around. Um, but on the pitch, all three of them are performing. And, and and ultimately, that is the key to success. And and, and I'm sure that the Galtier is looking at that and going, look, if the headlines continue, the headlines continue. But ultimately, if they're playing on the pitch and performing the way that they are right now, there's not much more that I need to do or say in terms of how well these It doesn't matter what play. the headlines are when, when, when this lot play as they are. That just doesn't matter. Um, and it, you kind of lead me into number two there, Jack, as well. And they are linked, of course, because this is where I've decided... I've Cristiano decided Ronaldo. to put Neymar in at number two, also <laughs> of PSG. Like, also super productive. Seven goals and six assists in his first four games this season. Seven goals six assists. First four games. Could not believe it. He scored in his first six games consecutively in all competitions. It was a ridiculous start to the season. He was week one, two, three, four, five, and six Ballon d'Or favourite, but I have just pushed him down a little bit as he has slowed down ever so slightly. We don't hold that against him. Obviously, the pace he was setting was ludicrous. But Gaultier has just, just started to take him out of the lineup every now and then a little bit, uh, as he has done with a few others. Obviously, this is hugely important given this fixture crunch, you know, it's you just have to keep these players fit. You have to keep them fresh. And if you have to take them out a little bit, then fair enough. I feel like it just broke up Neymar's rhythm ever so slightly. But overall, like he's been 98% stunning, basically. And, you know, even with the production aside for a little bit, the link with Messi has been outstanding. The extreme comfort he feels in this team now, in this setup, is bringing the best out of him. And, and when he's at his best, he produces probably more wow moments on a football pitch than I think anybody in the world. Um, and that's not just about like, you know, the tricks and the skills and the, and the cute touches and the back heels, which he just is the number one in the game at. Um, he's doing these like ridiculous, like scoop passes over the defensive line to set up goals, mazy dribbles, ridiculous turns. He's been amazing. Absolutely amazing. And like I thought he was going to be my number one. I, I did um, when I sat down to do this, but I've ended up nudging him down to number two. I wonder what's mm. caused that. Um, it's, it, you know, it's talking of production, but yeah, no, I mean, look, Neymar has been incredible. And, and as you said, at right at the top of this, Sam, so much of this now depends on, on the world cup and whether, you know, we've seen these players in two and three, both playing for South American behemoths who are, you know, considered favourites for this World Cup. If either Brazil or Argentina win the World Cup, PSG stay on the course that they are, they win the league, there's going to be very difficult to argue that Lionel Messi or Neymar don't deserve to win the Ballon d'Or because that's how it's going to go. And the World Cup has such an effect. You know, you mentioned Cannavaro when we were talking about defenders mm. earlier on. That's how much of an effect the World Cup can have. On, on these rankings, on these ratings and, and on these awards being given out. And it's the kind of thing, you know, I, I don't think Cristiano Ronaldo, considering the start of his season, is going to be in anybody's, you know, top five for the Ballon d'Or next year right now, considering how he's playing at club level. But if Portugal win the World Cup, then that all changes again. Suddenly that conversation is completely different because of the kind of scope and magnitude 
of this trophy that comes around every four years. And, and look, maybe that's a bit unfair. Maybe it's a bit unfair that the, that the Champions League is considered so highly within these these tournaments as well. Because ultimately, when you're, when you're looking at it, we, we always talk about knockout competition being a little bit of a lottery. Mm. And yes, you can perform in the way that a Benzema or a Courtois did last season. And that obviously is going to have an effect, and rightly so. But equally, there are moments that change games in knockout stages that can turn on a sixpence. And and that does make it a little bit unpredictable. But it also does mean that these rankings can change quite quickly, depending on someone having an absolute superstar turn at the World Cup. 100%. Yeah, we'll probably sit down and do this again in in January or something like that, or maybe after the World Cup. I don't know exactly when it would be, but we'll take a look at this again. (laughs) We might have four new names because they went to Qatar and they absolutely (laughs) smashed it. You never know. but you're right, Neymar and Messi, you know, if they if they do actually secure a World Cup for their nation you, and you consider who these players are, you know, Messi is, you know, probably Argentina's greatest ever player. Um, you know, it's a toss up between yeah, two. Yeah, he and Maradona least. and Maradona has the World Cup. And, you know, obviously we're all kind of desperate in a way for Messi to win a World Cup, right, to secure that legacy. Neymar is the modern Brazilian hero. Um, he set all sorts of all sorts of records. He's beloved by the nation. They're also desperate for him to do that. And like, if you were a Ballon d'Or voter and Messi or Neymar finally brought that trophy to their nation and almost fulfilled their destiny as the modern hero of the nation, like you'd feel compelled to vote for them, wouldn't you? No matter what else happens. you The narrative is so strong. It's sweeping you out to sea at this point. So I like... I, mm. I, the power of Jules Rimet compels yeah, you. I can see it happening. Like, let's see what happens. I mean, it's a much more fun conversation come January if neither of these two gentlemen lift the World Cup. Well, let's talk about someone not going we then, should, shall we? Yeah. So, yeah, in at number one, um, timing may not be my strong suit, lads, because he's actually finally drawn a blank. But um, yeah, Erling Haaland has taken the number one spot. As I said, didn't expect this to happen when I sat down to do it, but I think I just kept staring at those numbers and those goals. And not just that, the amount of, the number of hat-tricks that he scored in a row. And I was like, I don't know where else to look. I don't know where else to look. You know, Sunday wasn't his best game, of course. And what is the first time he didn't score or assist in a game for his club since he played Liverpool? in the community shield. So maybe it's a Liverpool mm. thing. Like they, they maybe figured it out. Good. Yeah, they figured it out. But outside of, it's almost like Virgil van Dijk, a really good <laughs> Outside of games against Liverpool, obviously he's been uh, a true wrecking ball. The numbers are video game-esque, as we say. Um, there's pretty much no getting away from it. We've, we've referenced Neymar's numbers and Messi's numbers throughout and, uh, and Kvara too. Uh, yeah, yeah. Holland has already, he hit the 20 goal mark for the season on the 8th of October. We usually use the 20 goal mark for a season as the marker for a great striker, but they get eight months to do it. He did it in just over two, uh, 15 goals and 10 appearances in the Premier League and five in three for the Champions League. He's playing in what I perceive to be the strongest league in the world and he's making defences look really quite silly. He's setting, probably going to set goal records. So like in the end, I was like, well, I'm going to have to put him up there at number one and Maybe in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, well, if you don't do it now, mate, it might not be. It might not be the case because what could happen at the World Cup, which is outside of his control. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think this is um, fair enough. He has to be number one because if anyone else was doing this, they'd be number one. Like if this was Messi, he'd obviously be number one. If Ronaldo had a comeback season suddenly and he did this, he'd be number one. If Harry Kane did this, he'd be number one. Lewandowski, like 
it's it's impossible to look beyond it at the moment. Like we, it's he's a phenomenon. He's, he's we've rarely seen anything like it. And as you say, like it's early days in Man City. But if this is what he can do in the early days, what's he going to manage by the time he gets to the end of the season? Honestly, I think it's only injury really that that would stop him because I, you know, Man City aren't going to hold up. Um, this is not going to stop suddenly. Liverpool, yeah, they've kept him at bay, but. Look, Allison was informed. Joe Gomez and Van Dyke did a really good job. Holland still nearly scored. Like he's that's against one of the very best, and he still came close. Um, there'll be more hat tricks to come, and he's the man to stop. I think. Yeah, yeah, I think that's fair enough. I mean, does that mean, Dean, that your five would be similar? How how would you have ranked your top five? Well, I'd never heard of Kvara, so he ain't in there. Um, I've never seen him. No, but I haven't seen him. Like, like you're saying, you said at the start, like he's crept up on you. Like, I reckon most people that probably listen to this podcast, like, haven't seen him, and that that's madness. Like we're saying, Holland, like at one. Like, I think that is as big a surprise for me to be that high up in a Ballon d'Or ranking when you're like new to the scene. Yeah. You, I mean, he's got he's had a game against Liverpool, so a lot of people would have caught him there as well. But maybe only one or two doses of him for sure. So it is a bit of a surprise. Yeah. I mean, look, the the guys that I have like unfortunately left out when I was trying to pick my five, I basically ended up ruling out Lewandowski because. He blew too many chances in that game against Bayern Munich, and Barca should not be in this position. He also missed a bad one in the Clasico, and I just he was if I'm sat here talking, yeah, he doesn't know that. <laughs> if I'm if I'm sat here talking about big moments from big players and excelling in the Champions League and using it as a criteria to put you know Joshua Kimmich in, uh, you know, to praise Messi and and Neymar, like I, I think I have to hold that against Lewandowski ever so slightly. So he's a top ten, but he's not a top five. Musiala and Kevin De Bruyne were my main contenders here for number five but that I decided to leave them aside. And I think Foden's had an amazing season and I just wanted to chuck his name in there very briefly. Not that he was he was going to yeah. hit five, but he's probably a 10, probably a top 10. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, you'd use the comparison for Christopher and Kunku for Kvara, Sam. And I think, I don't think it's a bad shout, but actually the person that maybe has the outside shout right now is Cody Hackett. Oh God, that's a really outside shout. Ab- well, he's absolutely tearing things apart. And again, could have a, a sensational breakout World Cup and that might change things in, in this regard. Um, his numbers at the moment are absolutely ludicrous. Um, he's a 1.51 goal contributions a game. I have Musiala in my top five. I had Musiala at fifth. He's the, you know, behind Haaland. He is a person contributing goals at the highest rate in yep. Europe, in Europe's top five leagues at the very least um, right now. And and ultimately, I, I can't ignore that from, from from where I'm sitting and what he's done within this Barcelona, uh, within this Bayern Munich team so far this season, the way he's stepped up, the way that Nagelsmann just trusts him implicitly, I think he's got to be in the conversation. I think Leroy Sane might well be in that conversation as well. Um, obviously, he got injured at the weekend and, and everybody's kind of sweating on his fitness ahead of the World Cup. But he... He's one who's had uh, maybe slightly under the radar brilliant start to this season as well. I think he's so, been really good I in think... the Champions League and that has that should count for something. I think he's been a bit quieter in the league, maybe. And that's not exactly the wrong way round to do it. Um, but yeah, he's been very good. Talking of sweating on fitness, is there anyone we're not sweating on the fitness of for the World Cup? I'm doing yeah, this list true. on Twitter, aren't I? It's my... the most depressing thing I've ever done. I hate it. Yeah, I, yeah, don't well, know I do it every it. It it's my thing. Sad, that's my sad, thing. Dude. I love misery. Yeah, you do. You do. And my top five in order were Neymar first, Holland second, Cavallo third, Messi fourth, Musiala mm. fifth. Mm. Not miles off. That, that's where I have yeah, them. Awesome. That's where I have also, them. Also, Pe- Pe- Pedri right is now. like yeah. frequently the best player on the pitch for Barcelona this season. And 
but this is it. Barcelona are, are a little bit off the pace. And actually, I, the, the one I kind of wanted to include was, you know, besides Napoli and PSG, the team that I think have been most impressive, not necessarily in terms of performances, but just in terms of getting the job done, are Real Madrid. And we haven't got anyone from Real Madrid in here. And perhaps that's because it's been shared out. Perhaps it's because Benzema has been out for a couple yeah. of games. Vinicius has been... been good very good but not putting out you know necessarily the numbers that some of these players are um Freddie Valverde Ooh, yeah. maybe has a shout here because he's been absolutely sensational please, and he is a real please, yeah please refer player. to him by his official name big yeah, big, big game, game Valverde um he like yeah. him and Vinicius um yeah fair shouts Modric and Kroos have been really good like they've had yeah I feel a bit odd not putting any Real Madrid players in there but uh Again, it's like one of those things where it's like Benzema got injured and they do feel like a real team, don't they? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Di Maria's numbers have been absolutely sensational and Juventus are rubbish. So <laughs> so who knows what, what, what the drill is. If if he can step up at the World Cup, if he makes it as well, you know, another one we can put on your worried about list there. But yeah, I think this has been an interesting discussion and we will return to it maybe in January, as you say, um, to take a little bit of a closer look at how that World Cup affected things and, and who's been performing through you know into the into the new year so it's going to be it's going to be one we will return to probably a couple of times over the course of this year it remains a staple of the ranks canon um but with that i think we're going to call this segment to a close thank you very much okay cool absolutely right after the break we've got men of the week in the gibberish rankings don't go anywhere Welcome back to our third and final segment here on Ranks FC. And it's time for everybody's favourite time of the week. Dean Jones, the floor is yours. It's time for Melon of the Week. This week's Melon of the Week is Brendan Rogers. Hmm. Okay, so Brendan, not in a great place this season with Leicester. And after their nil-nil draw with Crystal Palace at the weekend, he claimed his players were probably a bit slower than he would have normally wanted due to the heat and the early kickoff. Now, what? yeah, this is what he said after the game. I think the performance was good. I think with the heat and the 12.30 start, though, it was a bit slower than we probably would have wanted. It was 16 degrees. <laughs> it was a 12.30 kickoff. Oh, no. What's 16 degrees for those in Fahrenheit is roughly 63, 64 Fahrenheit. <laughs> it's a perfectly nice, pleasant day to play football. This is a manager feeling the pressure and finding anything he possibly can, even a few beads of sweat on one of his players, as an excuse as to why things are going bad and why they have five points after 10 games. The worst start to a season since 1983. A reason why all the fans are protesting against him in the stands, they've got banners, they're shouting for him to leave. In that same game afterwards, there's a separate press conference. So you'll have the main presser, you have the TV presses, and then you'll also do a separate one with some, some other journalists. And in that huddle of journalists, they questioned him on his salary, salary, which is reportedly £10 million a year. He got the right hump. He was like, there's nothing to do with anyone else. You're miles off. Not talking about this. Yes, 20. He just stormed away from them all. Anyway, we'll probably find out soon because I think he's going to get a red card very very soon by his um, employers. I can't see Brendan riding this wave much longer, especially as this week his best player, James Madison, is out for the midweek fixture. Um, yep. You can't, won't be able to blame the heat for that one. It's an evening kickoff. It's going to be cold. That, very interesting way of saying 
uh, getting sacked there, Dino. Red card by his employer. Yeah, mm, I like it. I yeah. like it. It's a nicer yeah. way of putting things. It Much adds a little nicer. bit of yeah. uh, a football terminology into what is quite a grim yeah. process, to be perfectly honest. Basically, yeah, but... I don't really like the word sacks. Like Brendan Rodgers, he's done a lot of good for this club. Yeah, but it's, it does feel like the end of the cycle now. Like the fans are turned. The the owner seemingly looked a bit fed up in the stands after after that game. I think every, I think Brendan Rodgers is fed up. To be honest, I think he's waiting. Yeah, he's not going to walk, is he? Because he wants his payoff. Um, and if you're going to give him a big contract, I'm afraid you have to accept that you run the risk of having to make that payment. Yeah, yeah I mean, I enjoyed some of the stories that were coming out um, uh, about the people that were that were putting in birthday messages from things like Roger Zout. Um, in, <laughs> um, to try and get the club to read them out so they read out no birthday messages at the weekend um, because that was the end of that um, oh my days yeah Brendan out and Roger's out um, the <laughs> the two relations um, asking for their birthdays to be read out on the, uh, the less of this big screen so yeah um, they were they were fun okie dokie that is of course the gibberish alarm and it's time for the third and final part of our three-part sequence of things we're good at, um, which means it's my turn to step up and, and do this. So I've been thinking about this over the course of the weekend in Bilbao. One of them is related to it. Two of them are related to it, actually. Um, I got to, got to experience some of this in its full glory. Um, but I asked Lucy what she thought, um, and Lucy just said to me that what I was good at was filling the dishwasher, which is... <laughs> not great as as far as i'm not going to include that i do like stacking all the like cutlery next to each other so it's easier to take out at the end but you know i I don't think that's probably a skill i think that's just literally putting things in the right order which is i suppose actually the entire premise of this podcast Um, and so i didn't really want to to include it in here what i've gone with was her other suggestion which was writing birthday cards really good at birthday cards um I've never had one from you. It kind of goes with the territory. You'll get one this year. It's a big birthday for you, isn't it? Um, <laughs> it kind of goes with the territory, right? It's 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 kind of a little bit poetic. It, it's a little bit... I, I'm good at finding quotes that I put in down the side of things, write little poems for people. And I'm just generally quite a flowery bloke in generally mm-hmm. in terms of my language. So so this does kind of come to the territory, but it is something that I've been doing forever. And, to, you know, we're talking to Tom about it. And he was like, you always write the birthday cards. Because that's what we did as a kid. He was just like, you write them. And then I'll, I'll walk around and post them. And that was, that was, our, that nice. was the agreement. So nice. I've been Good doing dynamic. this for a long time. I've been doing this for a long time. Um, and so I'm very good at writing birthday cards. I think that's a really good skill to have. Um, the number of people you hand a pen and a card and go, go on and just quickly write. And they go freeze, don't they? It's a proper like freeze moment. Hang on a minute. How do I write? How do you spell happy? The, it, like everyone's mind goes completely as blank. They don't know what to say. They write a joke that they hate and they want to cross it out. If you if you have the confidence to, to sit down and write a nice quote and, and have an, a genuinely nice heartfelt message and without spending like the best part of two and a half hours thinking about it, then yeah. that's, a, that's a genuine talent. It is, it is one of those things where I need like a good 10, 15 minutes to write a card though, because I want it to, to feel right. And so if there's you get handed one as you're out, oh, we're going out the door in one minute. Can you write this card quickly? I'm like, no. I can write a card if you give me 10 minutes to write it, but I'm, I'm not going to be whipping one out in, in seconds. So I was like, I, wanted, I want them to feel right. I want them to feel nice. So, That's a very nice yeah, trait. Birthday cards. Um, secondly, I'm going to put in here is making friends with randoms, um, especially on planes. Um, 
And now Sam got to witness this firsthand on the Flame de Bilbao. I was planning on it's not writing out some of the script. No, but I was planning on writing some of the script, working with the questions, reading a bit of a book on Spanish football to just kind of refresh my memory and make sure that I was, I was on the right track with what we were trying to do over our time. Instead, uh, I opened up a conversation with the man sat next to me. It was called Simon. Uh, and we spent two hours discussing the fact that we both went to Durham. Uh, he was a I would say a good 40 years before me. Um, so we discussed the differences Definitely. between our, our, our time. Uh, we discussed his job. We talked about golf. I talked about Ander Herrera. He was a Manchester United fan. So we discussed that for a while. He lives on the Isle of Man now. He was telling me all about the, the joys of, of living on the Isle of Man. Um, and then eventually they were like, oh, we're landing. And I was like, I've really had work to do on this plane. And instead, I have decided to make friends with a random. Um, I've got his business card. I'm going to send him an email, say hello to him. Now we've got back and, yeah, I made a friend. We made some friends in, in the pub, Molly Malone's, where we watched some of the games as well. We made some friends with some, some Irish lads from Limerick who were out there doing uh, doing six months to, to learn Spanish. Uh, as part of their university exchange program. So if they're listening, shouts out to the boys. Went to the um, wrong place to learn much. Spanish, mate. Yes, I did say that, but it was uh, one of those. <laughs> they were great fun. We had a good, good chat with them. We had a um, yeah, really nice time. So I made friends with them as well. And yeah, this is something that I have, for better or for worse, I'm good at making friends with people that I don't know in random locations. Yes, you you're very good at it. Yeah. yeah. Sometimes, it's like, sometimes it's appropriate. Sometimes it's a bit of an eye roll. Yeah, I mean, it's it's something I personally can't be asked with, but um, <laughs> it, I, I guess it's a nice thing to have behind you. I, I can imagine it's quite annoying for everyone else a lot of the time because like, you'd be there and you'd be like, who's this random person that Jack has brought along? And you'd be like, oh, I just yeah. met him outside. You know, we, yeah. I was just going for a walk around. I've the never done that. I've just never done that. But these two things, these two things you brought up so far, they go, they're directly linked. They go hand in hand. You're very good and very happy to speak to people and make friends because you genuinely like people and you like talking to them. That's not a trait that anybody else has. Now, to write someone a nice birthday message in a birthday card, you're going to have to really like them, which no one actually does. So that's why everyone freezes up when they have to write a message because actually they think they're a scumbag. But you like them. And because yeah. you like people, you make friends. Yeah, there we have it. Um, and third, is, is it unrelated? But we got another taste of this again. I've got an incredible sense of direction. Except for when uh, you get lost. But I don't get lost very often. This is the thing. And now on our adventures as Ranked FC, we have spent some time in various cities. We've been lucky enough to visit various locations and watch football matches. And I'm really good at building a mental map of a city in my head very quickly. Um, understanding where things are, where landmarks are, and vaguely knowing which direction to go or which direction is home is the important one, right? When you're just sort of wandering around at two in the morning and be like, where do we live? Um, and, and so being able to kind of sniff that out and work it out is a, is a trait that I think is quite useful uh, and probably the one that has helped us out most on our, on our excursions away from the UK. But yeah, my sense of direction and ability to walk in the right direction for what we're trying to get to remains uh, remains very strong so i would say it's probably my strongest trait on earth really just good at like sniffing out the right direction to follow yeah generally it's very impressive isn't it dean uh we've seen it, it seen it multiple times now uh yeah it. i mean i'll be honest like you could drop me in bilbao now on a street that i've walked down 25 times in the last four days i would never clue where i am because i did not look I never, ever at any stage of that weekend had any idea where I was until I saw the brown doors of our Airbnb. Yeah. <laughs> until that moment. Even I at was... that point, I was like, we live here. You're like, do we? 
<laughs> no, I think we're number 24, mate. No. <laughs> no, yeah, honestly, like I, because you are so good at it, Taylor does this. Taylor's very good at directions too. So she, or we, we go to New City, even in London, to be honest. Like Taylor knows London better than I do and she's not from here. Um, but because she, she, she gets to know the place, like when she moved to England, she would walk everywhere and she was like really wanting to get to know it. Whereas I took it for granted that I wasn't near London. So I just wandered around and like got on the tube or whatever else and just figured it out or got my map out on the phone. But um, yeah, I thanks, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, that was so painful. <laughs> yeah, I, I suppose. Yeah, if you insist. I suppose I'm going to say thanks to you. It's a bit like me uh, apologizing today. I'm going to say thanks to you. Yeah, I'm admitting when I'm right here. I did that. I, we did this at the weekend. I got to admit when I was wrong about something. Yes. Sam, mm. And um, it felt really good. You're right. Yeah. It was something that didn't matter. And Sam didn't have anything else to and say. Sam didn't know what to said, say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, it was, was really good. Really good. It really good myself so yeah we had that well that's it then thank you very much boys and then thank you for a wonderful pod i've really, really enjoyed this sam main ranking absolutely excellent and dean please you know that that brendan mellon i really wasn't expecting it really made me laugh so what, what an episode <laughs> what a time we've had this weekend and what an episode we've recorded today and all that's left for me to say is to say thank you all so much for listening as ever and for sticking with us here on Ranks FC. We hope you've enjoyed this episode. Thank you very much to our 5x5 champion, King of the Andals and the First Men, Mr. Dean Jones. Cheers, mate. Thank you very much to our head of dispatch, Rank God, and third choice Norwegian basket goalkeeper, Mr. Sam Tai. <laughs> Cheers, mate. You know what? That spot is probably open. I could probably I think- talk my way into it. I think you could, mate, especially if you're wearing that green athletic club jersey that you were you were given uh, mm. at the weekend. You look very much like a third choice <laughs> goalkeeping option for the club. I've been Jack Collins, Knave of Hearts. Thank you so much for listening as ever. And we will see you next week, gang. Take it easy. Peace.